Welcome to episode three, two, six of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, I say it every week, but this week I, th- I think we got a really good show. <laughs> I think we finally are on to something this week. We finally did it. We'll, we'll find out soon enough. We started having the conversation that we wanted to have beforehand and that we promptly stopped ourselves and said, wait, we got to hit that record button. So Nip that shit in the bud. Nip that in the bud. All right. Before we get into it, though, we've got some new patrons this week. Huge shout out to... Philippa Amato, George Solpakis, Solpakis, Solpaki, Luke Seely, Pavel Sisiak, Cal Rouston, Callum Cusson, and David Afalayan. I hope I nailed all of your names. Pretty sure I didn't. <laughs> Definitely didn't, <laughs> but give me a break. Thank you. Thank you for supporting the show. If you are enjoying the show, we're a listener-supported podcast. Go to patreon.com slash design details to learn more thank you you too can become a very important pixel a very important pixel for just a dollar we also have support this week from flywheel flywheel is a delightfully designed managed wordpress hosting platform thoughtfully built for busy creatives streamline your workflow with their slick platform and sweet set of workflow tools perfectly made for designers get started at getflywheel.com slash design details we're also supported by sisu sisu is looking for a thoughtful and data savvy designer to help them build the next generation of analytic software you can find out more at sisu.ai that's s-i-s-u dot a-i thanks flywheel and sisu all right let's move on we've got some news the design tool wars are heating up marshall boy are they so let's see this week we saw two big things. One was an announcement, one was a a release. So Sketch gave us a preview of what's coming up in 2020. And it looks compelling. Like, I think Sketch is on the right path, although it feels like a lot of this is playing catch up. So what's coming in in 2020? Well, they're investing a lot in Sketch for Teams. Mm -hmm. They are adding a bunch of features uh, and improvements to just the the core Mac app. Mm -hmm. But one of the cool things that they're working on right now is real-time collaboration. So they kind of had this like one more thing moment in this teaser video where uh, a bunch of cursors come in. Uh, So they're going to have live real-time collaboration in Sketch in 2020. I cannot imagine the amount of work that's going into that. Probably really hard to refactor and add that in. But seems like that's the bar right now, right? It's Mm -hmm. like people just expect to be able to send a link to a file and have anybody be able to click around and leave comments in real time and and poke it and nudge at things uh, and present in real time, like it's where we are. So it's the it's the Google Docsification of design tools. Yeah, and so we'll have a link to that tweet. But uh, Sketch has just been you know tweeting this cool teaser video and some screenshots of features coming up. So before we go into the to the next news thing, I, I just want to call out an interesting parallel here. So back when Sketch released Smart Layout, within a few hours or a day or so, Figma tweeted and and basically had a catch-up tweet where they said, yeah, us too. Uh, those things, we're working on those things too. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't worry, it's coming. Just stay tuned, right? And the exact same thing has happened here with, with Sketch. So like, I don't know. I, I just think they're both aiming for the center from different directions. Yeah, I think we're actually going to end up coming back to this point here in a minute because we want to talk about design tools today. But that point of just battling on the same feature set is a very interesting one. And I think is an opportunity for competitors. Mm-hmm. Let's dig into that in a minute, though, because I think the other piece of news we want to talk about is Figma shipped auto layout, which you alluded to. Um, yep. They teased this earlier this year. They finally got it out. 
And have you had a chance to play with it, Marshall? I have a bit. It's slightly underfeatured for my current needs, but it is a great start. Yep. Okay. I don't have anything to add to that. I feel the same. It, <laughs> okay. It's like the mental model. There's a learning curve to it for sure. Yeah. It's different from sketches layout. Yeah. I mean, and it's different from any sort of DOM layout or like box model layout. Like there's just some differences. It doesn't work with constraints. Like you can't resize a thing that is smart layouted. Yep. I have a design challenge for anybody out there who's listening and wants to see if they can figure out this quirk in solve your problem for you. Okay. Solve my problem. <laughs> well, I sent this to someone on the Figma team. I'm like, if y'all can solve this, then I'm cool with auto layout. But until then, this is like a, a problem. Mm-hmm. Here's the, the challenge. Okay. On iOS, when you are designing table views, the cells have a bottom separator that is inset from the left edge to wherever the text is. So if you have just text on a table cell, that will be inset 16 points, and that bottom separator will be inset 16 points. But if you add an avatar to the left, the bottom separator will be inset only up to the the left edge of the text, okay? Mm -hmm. If anybody can recreate a table cell in Figma where that bottom separator is inset from the left edge up to a text line, and that table cell has an optional avatar component that you could hide or show, let me know. That would be huge if you could just have that functionality. Otherwise, you're going to have to have multiple divider lines, a different component for every divider line if you want to use auto layout on each of those. Yeah. <sighs> and if you look at the way the iOS library and Sketch handles divider lines in table view cells, they have like different permutations for each one instead of letting it happen naturally based on the content of the cell. And that's unfortunate. So I think this is just like an impossible thing at the the moment. I mean, it's crazy that this is impossible. Yeah, my hack right now is I just made a Figma plugin that I like can press a button that says 44 or 64 or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it'll find I have like the a group of individual separators where the layer name is that inset amount, and I just hide everything besides what I clicked. It's super hacky. Like, yeah. it shouldn't exist that way because it's so wasteful to have 10 extra hidden layers that are never, ever, ever going to show up, but you want a single table cell component that shares layout and typography and, and padding with all of your other table cells. Yeah, I mean, I guess in Sketch, the way I would do it is different from Figma because you're hiding and showing layers rather than swapping out a component, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it could be cleaner. Your your component or your master component list would be a little bit busier because you'd have several different dividers instead of one divider. But then you'd only have one layer inside that divider instead of having to hide and show. I don't know. I don't know which is better. They're probably both not as good. It should just be dynamic. <laughs> yeah. So if anyone could figure this out with auto layout, otherwise, I think, you know, you and I were talking about it and I'm very happy that this exists. Like it solves a lot of really clear problems. And my favorite one that it's solving right now is I use a data populator. And if the data returns different length strings before you had to go back and like resize everything so that your list of elements would align top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it just does it. It's so like that yep. part of it is solved and feels amazing, but it's it's the nuance of yeah, separators and just like you can't resize it. So you can't, I, I can't test my mobile screen. I can't drag the left and right edges to see how it looks on a smaller device or something. Yep. Which is kind of the whole point, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which is the point. Yeah. So yeah. I did see a tweet from Sho Kuamoto, who is the director of product at Figma, 
and show responded to somebody that said and said that they're working on this uh, specifically the auto layout plus constraints so v1 it will get better you're gonna hear my pet peeve hit me is and this is the same thing true for sketch neither of them have this and it's probably a niche problem that only i deal with or only certain people will deal with but aspect ratio maintaining aspect ratio Mm. it bothers me all right well there's a couple figma challenges maybe there's some clever ways to like nest and use constraints and ungroup or un auto layout and then some auto layout dude i've tried yeah i spent a while on trying to figure this out but uh Let's transition this because this actually segues perfectly into a conversation we want to have today about design tools. And this specific problem, there's a few tweets that we want to get into, but just to kind of wrap up this conversation, after Figma shipped auto layout, I saw some engineers tweeting like, wow, I can't wait till CSS can do this, you know, totally sarcastically, like, (laughs) yeah, like primitive languages of the web have had this concept of a box model with constraints and and layout since the beginning so it does seem silly that we're so excited about this but here we are all right so well you know if i had if i had been denied oxygen for several minutes i'd be really excited about that oxygen (laughs) it's not (laughs) yeah which i think is the crux of what we're going to get into here is i think engineers live in this world of being surrounded by oxygen (laughs) and they feel pity for us lowly designers who are kind of in an aquarium and they suffocating uh, little oxygen bubbles get pumped in every every few years yeah so let's start here saw a tweet from mike rundle at flyosity who says the current era of ui design tools that we use daily are a joke compared to the power and flexibility of other professional software like solidworks renderman maya unity ableton live after effects and others used by design professionals in other fields why is that all right so let's talk about why they're a joke because i think you know as we've talked about there are these frustrations that you and i have with why the tools can't do the thing that writing uh, a feature natively would just solve for free like if you or i jumped over to xcode and wanted to build a table view like we never have to worry about borders or dark mode or text size ever again right like Mm -hmm. the program itself for building the outcome handles so much for free yet here we are in figma talking about oh man, I can't even dynamically set like an inner separator margin. Mm -hmm. So in that way... Aspect ratios. (laughs) Aspect ratios, like such basic things. And yet Figma and and Sketch are the de facto tools for digital screen designers. And I'm wondering why it is that we can't make the leap from a tool like this to designing in uh, a tool like Xcode or designing with like a drag and drop direct manipulation that exports to some version of code that is usable or can at least understand the platform that is being designed for. Yeah. And the needs of modern applications, right? Like the, the fact that theming isn't built in by default in the same way that is in Xcode, right? Theming state like hovers. <laughs> yeah, like all this stuff sort of feels like a hack. And I guess I want to just share an opinion of mine that's changed because I'm going to come to the defense of the design tools here is I used to just totally agree with Mike's point here. I thought design tools were a joke. All these drawing tools sucked because I would draw something and then I'd have to switch tools and basically rebuild it from scratch in code. Or, you know, your engineering team would have to rebuild it from scratch in code. And I thought that that process was really frustrating. 
I still think it's frustrating, but there's a part of the drawing tool that is incredibly liberating in that it isn't connected to any sort of code and thus is unconstrained by any sort of platform or like quirks of the, the code itself. So for example, imagine you wanted to explore 50 variations of, of a particular flow. If you are gonna do that in a design tool, it's pretty straightforward. You just clone your artboards make your arrangements 50 times, and then you can see all 50 at once. 50 is maybe too high of a number, let's say five. You can see all five of your variations at once. You can poke at them, look at them, export them. You have these artifacts of these are the five flows that we've tried. This one's the best one, let's go build that. If you were to design that in code or in a, a tool that is meant to like represent the underlying code, those five variations are basically overriding each other every single time. So you lose any sort of ability to sit there and look at two variants side by side. Yeah, that you have to special case everything, right? Yeah, I think it's this sort of generative design programmatically works on a component level. Like if you wanted to see 50 variations of a button, sure, go program that. That's way easier than mm -hmm. nudging 50 things in Figma. But if you wanted to look at flows or product decision, uh, like higher level things around, is this the right solution? Is this the, the UX side of it, right? Rather than the UI side of it. Yes. That thing can't be as easily generated and thus needs, I think, a drawing tool. Like it's in the same way that it seems silly that you'd be frustrated that pen and paper can't export to code. It's like, that's not the point. This <laughs> The point of me having this direct manipulation tool that is abstracted away from the code is so that I can just do things quickly. I don't have to care. I can get ideas out as fast as I can think of them, or at least that's the dream. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Does all this make sense? Like, yeah, where I think design tools still are useful in that way. Yet I, I think where I do agree that the handoff part is the frustrating part. Yeah. And I, that's, I think, how we need to scope the conversation is like, I don't think anyone's arguing that our design tools are bad for the for the quick iteration use case you mentioned earlier. I think the argument is that they are kind of an island into themselves and the output is not directly convertible into code, if that makes sense. Do you think that we would be better off if design tools like Figma worked the same way as like divs and spans and like the primitives of a web platform, for example. That's how I design my shit anyways, right? That's how I like the IA and the, the, the structure of my layer list is basically divs, right? That's how I, that's how I think of it. Not just the bounds and everything, but also the order of things inside of groups and how those groups are nested, et cetera. So I, I do build with that in mind. That's part of the handoff process, even if that doesn't convert to code, but it would be nicer if it did, I suppose. I think it's important to rewind slightly and, and think about what our design tools used to be real quick. Because uh, I used to use Photoshop for this shit, you uh -huh. know? And yeah. we all used to use Photoshop for this shit, or Illustrator, I guess. But, like, Photoshop was kind of the tool. And that had nothing compared to what we have today, right? And we still somehow <laughs> were able to crawl along just fine. So you're, more, you're focused on the trajectory more so than the current state. 
like in the grand scheme, we're on the right path, perhaps. Yeah, the age of our industry is so much younger, which explains the the uh, maturity of our tools being so much less mature compared to engineering tools, right? We haven't been focusing on this stuff. There hasn't been, really been an industry for design professionals using tools for as long as there has been for engineering professionals using tools. So, like, it's to be expected, right? But we're but the the trajectory is in the right direction. We're headed on the right path. Progress continues to occur. I'm not too worried about it, but we're not we're not in the end game yet. That's for sure. Well, here let me throw this at you. So there's a response to this tweet that was from Kelly Sutton. Kelly says, "Design tools are outside the critical path of a finished software product. You can build an app without Sketch or Figma. You can't do special effects without After Effects or the equivalent." So while we are on the right track, I guess Kelly is suggesting like this this critical path to actually building software doesn't include a drawing tool. So why are we continuing to invest in drawing tools? Well, you know, you can you can shoot a movie without writing a script. That doesn't mean it's going to be a good movie. You can build a house without a blueprint. That doesn't mean it's going to be a good house. Yeah. Actually, it probably is a good indication that it's not going to be a good movie or a good house. Yeah, I think I probably agree. And I love Kelly because Kelly's brilliant and has thought of this for a long time yeah yeah no knock against kelly but i i do feel like this concept of how quickly can you get an idea through a range of iterations and then have the ability to step back from that range and pick the best solution is the point of these drawing apps and anybody who's using them differently like trying to recreate i've seen crazy prototypes that people made in figma and I guess if you're using that for user research, sure, go for it. Yeah, if you're just recreating everything to be the the perfect representation of the final product, I think that's missing the point. I'm a fan of pixel perfect mocks, but I think there's a point where you have to stop and say like, all right, we have this set of rules in place that we've drawn, like we've drawn the flow, we've drawn the rectangles and screens and how the base should work. And now we should articulate in a different medium, probably just through writing or pairing with with your engineering team of putting that drawing into motion. Does that make sense? Do you agree? I think so. I don't know. I was kind of zoning out. I was thinking about Framer. <laughs> mm, let's talk about Framer. So I, th- I think we didn't mention it, but Framer X, Framer 10, whatever. Framer is trying to to solve this problem, I think, if I understand correctly, like they, they, it is a combination of, you know, very componentized drawing tools with probably the best prototyping in the business and output to code. Yeah, the problem is the output to code is a misnomer in many ways. Like it's outputting code, but it's not really outputting code that you're going to use in a production app. And I think you can get the primitives to maybe be the same. Like maybe sure, like a button or a grid layout component. Maybe you could use that externally. Like I know that it uses React under the hood and that it can it can pair with your design system or like your coded design system. Mm-hmm. I get that. But like if you draw an app, you're not going to use the output of that app and just like plop it into React Native or, or Xcode or anything like that. Like yeah. you're still going to have to recreate all of that interface in the native language with, you know, network fetching and caching and error handling and mm-hmm. loading states and on and on and on. So yeah, again, it's like how quickly can you draw an idea? And if Framer helps you draw that idea in a more reusable way so you can quickly 
manipulate things and especially the fact that it is react they already have auto layout for free because it's just mm -hmm. a dom like that's great i'm sure that they're all kind of laughing at us getting so hyped over figma auto layout like <laughs> they started with this <laughs> yeah but yeah th this idea that it's outputting production ready code i think is kind of a pipe dream is that the dream though yeah and i think you look at tools like webflow and they're kind of in this zone like i think webflow is a direct manipulation tool that outputs websites and maybe they get to a point where they output apps someday. But I think that that is still one step ahead of where drawing tools are meant to sit in the design process. Like design tools that were, or drawing tools like Figma and Sketch are still meant for wide ranged idea generation, exploration, and being able to look at things side by side and quickly pan between uh, solutions. Whereas even if Webflow is outputting a really beautiful website, I think their tooling has gotten really good. Even if it's outputting that, you've still lost this ability to see 10 ideas side by side that you put together in five minutes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm just not that worried about tweets like this anymore that used to get me riled up because I used to get so frustrated that design tools couldn't output a final app. But now I realize it's just a different stage of the process it's like it's like getting frustrated at pen and paper I, I think that's not the point of the thing and i don't want that to be an excuse for design tools to not keep making progress because i think they should and auto layout is a step in the right direction yeah they will too and they will but i i don't expect a tool like figma to create an app for me right i expect a tool like figma to basically continue making it easier and faster for me to get things in my head onto a screen yep. so that we can have productive conversations about that with the people who are best suited to implement that. Yep. I don't know. Maybe I'm short-sighted here. Like maybe I'm no, not no. seeing the bigger picture. That's the whole point of every tool. Anything from pen and paper or whiteboard or Sketch or Figma, it doesn't matter. Like the whole, the whole point of it is to get an idea out of your head and into somebody else's head. Yeah. And, and maybe maybe I'm over-indexing on this idea of like being able to look at multiple things side by side. I think of, you know, I've been working on my personal site and like I can't just revert and look at a previous thing that I built next to the thing that I have in code today. Like I can't look at those side by side unless I know Git, I'm checking out branches or I'm reverting to commits in the timeline and I know and I'm being very organized and how all that timeline works. Like I can't do that. And that part is actually really frustrating that I can't just rewind through history. And I think that's what a drawing tool is going to be good for. <laughs> so I think for me, the like perfect world is that Figma frames were just divs, right? Like it was using primitives for probably for the web under the hood. Mm. So we didn't have to worry about auto layout. We didn't have to think about stakes. We could add like event handlers and state management like higher up in the tree. Like those primitives seem to make sense, but I still want this big empty canvas where I can just quickly drag shit and not care about the perfect composition because it needs to be shipped like this. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I don't know. I, I guess I have a longer term view on it when it comes to this kind of stuff where it's like, I know how bad it's been. I know how good it is now. And I, I see that trajectory and it can only get better in the future. And the teams behind the tools we use are actively working on these things and actively being transparent about what they're doing, right? So yeah, I'm not, I'm not worried, but I, I like Mike a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. 
So I was, I was recently listening to React podcast, which is ho- hosted by Michael Chan, who's on on the Spec Network, and they interviewed Sunil Pai, who's on the core React team at Facebook, and it was an awesome conversation. You should listen to it. I retweeted it, and it was like every designer should listen to it. Okay. Um, but it was cool because Sunil was talking about React as a user interface framework, and was talking about the current state of design tools and, and the future that he wants to live in with design tools. And I think it was probably close to what we're saying. Like, I think we just need to get closer to direct manipulation of the underlying primitives. Like, it is crazy that we write CSS in a text file instead of just, like, dragging and dropping things and, like, use color pickers in the browser. Mm-hmm. Like, that part is crazy to me. Um, so I want that direct manipulation of primitives yet on a canvas. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, cool. I hope I, I just hope I've articulated this position clearly that I... I understand the limitation of that model, like, but I don't think design tools have to build the thing. Yeah, I mean, there are so many things I design that require me to sit down with the engineer afterwards and be like, okay, in this permutation, this is what should happen with this behavior. I, I'd love to build all that logic in, especially interaction logic, so I don't have to either write it down or make a, a bunch of like transitional mocks to show how things move around or you know sit down for, for a long time with an engineer and, and get that idea into their head. Like I said, it's just about getting an idea out of my head into somebody else's. So if I could, if I could document all of that stuff in a way that was interactive rather than declarative, yes. That would be much better. I think you want it to be declarative and not imperative. Like you don't want not imperative. Not imperative, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sorry. But I think the goal is to just have the outcome be my intention rather than having to to spell everything out letter by letter. Yeah, which I think is the beautiful thing of React is you don't have to spell things out letter by letter. And I think that's why that it's winning in the JavaScript framework world. And we probably want, again, some similar primitive framework components that take care of things like state and transition and understanding tweening. Like animation's a good example, right? Like being able to say a beginning state and an end state and then maybe pass like a curve and the computer figures out how to animate between those things. Yeah. Versus manually keyframing an animation for every keyframe or for every every frame of that transition, right? Yep. That's crazy. And that's kind of, I feel like, what we're doing a little bit with some of our prototype or with some of our design tools is we do have to get really into the the details of the thing. Like even talking about this bottom separator is like we can't just say there should be a bottom separator that is left aligned to text of this yeah. view. Line it up with the text. <laughs> that's the declarative approach, right? Instead yeah. we have to jump through all these hoops to say, like I, well, it's not even possible, but like if this thing is hidden, then this thing should resize to this position. Like you have to construct that entire logic yourself, which sucks. Yeah. I guess the the future we're looking at is the more our design tools become useful in this direction, the more they're going to start feeling like IDEs, right? Agreed, yeah. And again, I think that's where Webflow is on the right track, but I want the middle area of Webflow to be a canvas, not the website. Like I want to be able to explore multiple websites and then look at them side by side and then choose the right one and then iterate from there and that still have that preserved history across all of my explorations. Again, I'm just romanticizing this idea of being able to look at things side by side too much. Well, you know what's really cool is I've been playing around with uh, Swift UI a lot lately uh, in Xcode, and the way it works is it previews automatically in real time in a split view. 
And what's really cool is the way that preview is provided is it starts off as just being a, a little code chunk at the bottom of the file that says preview the stuff above this. But you can modify that code to say preview it like this, right? And so you can do all those permutations in the code with just different preview outcomes. So for example, you can have a view that would go on a phone and in your preview, you can say, show me what this looks like on a small iPhone, on a big iPhone, on an iPad, right? And you can see your three different device sizes in the preview without ever changing the code. So when you change the code once, you see how that propagates. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And I think I'm stealing this just point of thinking from that React podcast I was talking about. But the thing that Sunil was talking about with Swift UI, which should exist in design tools, but it doesn't, is... In the left column, when you're looking at the code, if you hover over some code, in the right preview pane, it will outline the section of code that you're about to interact with. And conversely, if you hover over the preview and select some area of your your preview, it'll show you the code that is impacting that thing. So you have this direct mapping between the underlying code and, and the outcome of that code. And it's great. And we don't have that, especially for building websites. Again, Webflow doing something entirely different here. They're doing great. But like if you're building a React app with Create React App or Next or something like that, there's no way to go from the browser to the line of code that rendered that thing. You have to like inspect the element, like look up which component that was. You can't, the browser doesn't have a way to open this component in my text editor, which is a real shame. And I think we kind of want that future for our design tools, I suppose. But then you're just, the design tool has to build the thing. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Like, are we get are we moving towards a future where the IDE and the design tool are the same app, and I just use my design side and some of the engineering calls, right? But f- for the most part, I'm just dealing with states and simple logic and layout, and the engineers are doing all of the the back end work, right? Yeah, which also is a problem, right? Like, we should it should be trivial for designers to be pulling in data and testing network issues and slow loading times with spinners and things like that oh man yeah the dream the dream well here tell me this before we belabor this point but when you're we haven't already (laughs) when you've been playing with swift ui do you feel like that's the future of design tools like code on the or implementation on the left outcome on the right and you can just swap like i don't think swift ui does this now but in theory on that right preview pane you could select an element and have uh, a GUI to change the properties of that? Oh, you can. You know, you t- totally can. You you can select something and then it has an inspector and you can add properties to it and it automatically adds it into the code. Oh, well, then I eat my words. So then, it, okay, yeah. then just back up. Is that the future of, like, is that what Figma should be building then? That's what it feels like to me where it's like, yeah, th- there, are, there are two representations of the same thing. One is visual, one is code but they are directly linked and changing one changes the other. Yeah, That's what feels like the future to me. But now designers are have to learn code. Should designers code, Brian? Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably, right? <sighs> probably. All right, well, hopefully we didn't beat that horse too much to death already after it was dead, but what do you think? Uh, where do you think the future of design tools are going? Do you think we're where we should be at the moment? Or do you think we're behind? What's your position, listener? Yeah, and like, how closely should a designer be exploring in relation to the code that would eventually be output from that exploration? I think that gap is an interesting... I think there should be a 
gap again like <laughs> otherwise you're overthinking every exploration of like how how does the thing work instead of just trying to come up with the best solution so yeah it's a balance between lightweight and functionality yeah and it's a tough balance yeah well tweet at us we're on twitter sign details fm let us know what did we miss what did we get wrong what did we say yeah. that was bad yeah what, how did we fuck up <laughs> uh-huh i'm sure we did <laughs> yeah all right cool things cool things let's do it you want to go first i'll start so this week my cool thing is a tiny utility app with a really cool website and a actually the app itself is really beautiful as well i bought it and it's nice like the animations and transitions and interactions all beautiful all right so this app is called mouseless ah uh, yeah and the point of the app is to help you use your mouse less i just got that I thought it was like you know, without a mouse, but use I think your it's mouse both. less. I, yeah, it's both. I, but I only caught the one double side meeting. of it. Yeah, yeah single entendre. <laughs> yeah, there's a double here. Um, so what the app does is uh, it's it's a Mac app that has a directory of keyboard shortcuts for popular apps. So things like Figma, VS Code, even just the Mac operating system. And it has a interactive way of helping you learn keyboard shortcuts. So the way it works is it'll say like, okay, in Figma to go to the the child of the currently selected letter, press enter, and then you hit enter and it goes to the next step. And then it'll introduce a few keyboard shortcuts and then it'll start asking you to remember them and it won't show you the answer and you have to like press the answer. So it's teaching you by doing it. Yeah, it's flashcards for keyboard shortcuts. Flashcards for keyboard shortcuts is the best articulation I can think of. So their website is beautiful. You should go check it out. I tweeted about it this week because I, I just like I don't see yellow that much on the web. Yeah, I love it. And uh, like they have a nice custom scroll bar that's yellow. Just little tiny details that I like. So it's mouseless.app and it's 20 bucks, which is fine. I mean, if if you can spend $20 and figure out how to save, I don't know, an hour in the next month of your life, totally worth it. It will be hours plural yeah many, this, this will pay for itself many times over if yes if you really invest in just how do i get away from having to touch my mouse your life will be much easier well re yeah regardless of whether you get this app or not like just investing in and in the muscle memory of keyboard shortcuts will save you so much time yeah and effort like the, the the tediousness of clicking on a menu or an icon and a toolbar like that sucks just hit a keyboard shortcut you don't even need to look at the keyboard yep Agreed. All cool right. thing, Brian. So, yeah, that's, check that's it out. That's a good one. Love that black and yellow. Ah, uh, black and yellow, black and yellow. The site looks pretty. I like it. So I'm going to do my cool thing that I was going to do last week instead of talking about Mandalorian, which we did. So now that that conversation is behind us. Oh, actually, that should be follow-up. I caught up. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's just do a real quick follow-up. Real quick follow-up. I still have zero empathy for the, the main character because of the helmet. <laughs> okay. But... They are hinting, I, I, I see what you're saying about they're getting to the point where like there will be a big moment when the helmet comes off. And I, I think you're right in that prediction. So thank you. I will stick stick through and hope the helmet comes off. And then season two, we get a little more of the human side of this character, like the ability to build more empathy for our protagonist. Yes. Cool. Well, thank you for thank you for catching up. I'm glad that you short uh, follow up. There you go. No, I'm, I'm I'm glad that you are sticking it out, and I'm glad that you think I'm right because that's the correct position to hold. <laughs> <laughs> 
okay, so my cool thing is another Disney Plus show. It is, I believe it's called The Imagineering Story. And it's the story of the folks who work on the team that designs all the stuff in the parks. And it's a really interesting story because it, it covers the ups and downs of the parks. And you get this inside view into how the parks were built and the, the struggles, both financial and logistical, that, that went into making these things. And, and the roller coaster ride of, of this team of people not knowing whether they are valued or not. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, do, do parks matter? When Walt Disney dies, like, what happens to the team? Do we have a job? Right? It's a, it's a, great, it's a great story. And what I really love about it is just the, these people... And the goals that they have are, it's, it's purely delight, right? Their entire job is just to create delight in the real world, right? We work in, we work in apps and we work in all this digital medium. And there's something to be said for the physical experience of walking into a physical space and seeing things with your eyes and touching things with your hands and smelling things with your nose and like having this visceral experience in a place and and what what goes into making that delightful is is a really cool thing to look at. So, uh, the Imagineering story on Disney Plus, I love it. I think it's got four or five episodes now, and boy oh boy, it's it's been a it's been a great watch, especially as a designer to just see how a different facet of our industry is expressed. I like behind the scenes historical recounts of things like this that today are taken for granted like of course disneyland and disney world exist of course that's a thing that that the world knows about but mm-hmm. it didn't used to be like that and i guess something similar we talked about it on the show at some point was the general magic documentary yeah like i like shows like that i know you're only it's biased we're watching a show about disney on disney plus there's probably a lot of untold uh things that, that we don't know about Yet, it's still helpful to have a perspective and just see at least a part of this world that you had no idea existed, like how Disney World was built, how they secretly bought up all the land for it yeah. under like fake company names, like the the secrecy, the, the <laughs> struggles of the engineering, and then, yeah, getting into the design of the experience itself. I love that probably the most quoted detail of Disneyland is like as you're moving from world to world, how the music transitions seamlessly so you're never distracted by two sounds but yet you can move from one theme to the next and it's totally seamless so the the architecture of that spatial like planning is incredible the design the design aspect of it maybe we could even do a whole fucking episode on on this design stuff because it is so well thought out Force perspective there there are so many aspects of this like uh, management of cast members like how how can you have like 10 different mickeys in the park but nobody ever sees two mickeys at the same time yeah, yeah. and how do they get from one place to the other without being seen and you know where do you where do you put the speakers for all that music and stuff and 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 even piping and smells and ah, it's so good check it out highly recommended cool cool thing Cool things, plural, Brian. Cool things. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed the show. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter at Design Details FM. Tweet at us if you are enjoying it. Also, you can support us. Go to patreon.com slash design details for a buck a month. You get access to a 
private RSS feed that is sponsor-free and will include bonus content as we produce it. So that's patreon.com slash design details. Thank you to all of our new supporters this week. We really appreciate it. We do. Uh, if you need more podcasts, head to spec.fm. That's our podcast network for designers and developers to help you level up. Our show, among other shows on the Spec Network, are produced and edited by Sarah and Drew. So thanks, Sarah and Drew, for making today's episode possible. Um, that's it. Catch you next week. Bye-bye. I love pistachios. It's partially, it's the um, it's the thrill of the hunt, right? Because every shell is cracked open at a different level, so it's like every now and then you get ones that just like have a real tiny opening, and you're like, can I get my nails? Yeah, I'm really gonna get your nails open. open. Well, here's yeah, like here's my take on pistachios. There's, harvesting. There's two kinds of pistachios eaters. Okay, mm-hmm. there's people who eat pistachios in a dark room, and then there's people who know better. <laughs> I don't think I've ever eaten pistachios in a dark room. Have you ever had one of those pistachios that the bugs get into? Yep. Yep. Ever since then, I do not eat pistachios blind. No siree. Thank you yeah. very much. I will inspect every single one carefully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Unless it's a, a healthy green, it ain't going in my mouth. If that yes. starts to get brown, mm-mm. No, nope, The whole thank batch you. is going out. <laughs> the whole bag. Fuck this bag. Yeah. Also, fuck shelled pistachios that's no fun whoa 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 i'm eating shelled pistachios what are you talking about sorry sorry pre-shelled like taken out of their shells oh 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 pre uh shell list yeah shelled. Well, they oh, have, I see what you're they have been shelled right yes yeah. yeah yes pistachios in shell are the way to eat pistachios shelled pistachios what's the fucking point yeah way less fun yeah <laughs> it's the thrill of the hunt brian yeah this is why i eat all my oranges with the peel on them <laughs> Never buy an unpeeled orange, monsters.